Um, meeting date, May 18th, 2021, Committee of the Whole Meeting. Please be advised that on Tuesday, May 18th, 2021, at 7 p.m., there will be a Committee of the Whole Meeting held through remote participation. Pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12th, 2020 order, suspending certain provisions of the Open Meeting Law, Chapter 30A, Section 18, and the Governor's March 15th, 2020 order, imposing strict limitations on the number of people that may gather in one place. This meeting in the Medford School Committee will be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information on the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and parties with a right and a requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City of Medford website at www.medfordma.org. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so, despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford or community media websites an audio or video recording, transcript, or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. The meeting can be viewed through Medford Community Media on Comcast, Comcast Channel 22 and Verizon Channel 43 at 7 p.m. You can call in by using phone number 1929-205-6099. Please enter meeting ID 926-7229. 6484 when prompted. Additionally, questions or comments can be submitted during the meeting by emailing medfordsc at medford.k12.ma.us. Those submitting must include the following information, your first and last name, your Medford Street address, your question or comment. The agenda will be as follows. Discussion of the development of the operating budget and budgetary priorities of the Medford Public Schools fiscal year 2022 which is July 1, 2021 to June 30th, 2022, as it pertains specifically to academic content, areas including math, English, learners, athletics, and technology libraries. Signed, Dr. Maurice Edward Vincent, Superintendent of Schools. If we could take the roll, please. Member McLaughlin, do you want me to take the roll? You're muted, Melanie. Oh, thank you, sorry. Member Graham. Here. Member Kratz. Here. Member McLaughlin here. Member Mastone. Here. Member Rousseau. Here. Member Vandekloot. Here. Mayor Longo Kern. Present, seven present, zero absent. Um, I will leave it off, set it off to Mr. Murphy and Dr. Maurice Edward Vincent to start us off. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, we're in for another night of uh, presentations. Um, the team has worked incredibly hard and I wanna just thank the departments that are presenting today. We have um, mathematics, athletics, uh, English uh, learners, and I believe uh, technology. Um, so we have uh, four departments, but we will follow a similar format as um, we've been following for the previous days. And again, I just uh, wanna thank um, Dave and the finance team, Michelle Kingdon and all of those who have been working incredibly hard um, to keep us uh, in track, on track with um, what's being presented tonight. So uh, Mr. Murphy, I'm passing the baton on to you. Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. Uh, so as the superintendent said, we'll be covering um, four areas. Tonight is, is a bit of a segue for us where um, hey, we can't hear you. I can't. You can't hear me. 
Can you hear me now? It's, it's very low. low. What's that? It's just low. Really low. Um, it's so low that it's not bringing you up as the featured speaker. How about now? Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. This is better? Yes. All right, I asked to try a different background. Didn't work out. So for those who were getting sick and tired of the angle of this of that camera, I apologize. You'll have to you'll have to live with this one. And Peter, if there's any way you can make it so I can see myself, that would probably lead to a smoother presentation. So uh, as, as the superintendent said today, we'll be uh, focused on uh, mathematics, technology, athletics, and English learners. Uh, we are, in some respects, finishing up on the presentation um, from May 13th, who heard from humanities, um, science, uh, world languages, fine arts, and somebody else, I think. Um, I think it was somebody else. Uh, and so today, oh, health, health and PE. Uh, apologies to Ms. Perry. Um, and so uh, today we'll be finishing up the academic content areas. And also, um, this is really sort of uh, step one of three in finishing up this phase of the presentations leading to uh, the superintendent's recommendations that will go to the superintendent for a vote, um, which will be the request that goes to the municipal government. So um, as we have with each of the uh, presentations that we've made before, and again, this is, um, this is presentation number four, uh, uh, we will run through the process that we're at. As we know, there'll be members of the community who will be uh, watching this, and sometimes this is the first budget uh, committee of the whole that they're uh, that they're seeing. And so, to, in order to give uh, everyone appropriate context, um, with apologies to people who have watched each one, and I know this can get this seems somewhat repetitive and redundant. Um, we want to make sure that everyone has uh, has appropriate context. So, um, this is the budget process as a whole, from start to finish, beginning with the development of the districts. Uh, strategic goals and priorities that uh, lead to meetings that are held internally, administrative uh, meetings that uh, develop those budgetary priorities. Um, you'll be uh, hearing from the directors tonight with regard to their uh, some of their specific suggestions and, and, and points of emphasis. This is the place within the sequence that we're in right now, the development of the superintendent's recommendation leading up to a uh, statutory statutorily required budget hearing, which will take place on June 1st. Uh, this is our organizational chart, and as we've discussed before, we show this to um, for the community's benefit to see. This is how the Medford Public Schools are organized uh, and the various offices uh, reporting to the superintendent. And then, um, as we did in the previous ones, these are the areas that we will be um, discussing tonight. As we've said before, the uh, funding and the operating budget for the Medford Public Schools uh, generally comes from two sources, uh, traditionally two main sources the chapter 70 allocation that comes from the state, state and the local contribution from the municipal government. Uh, there's also external funds that come in each year, uh, things like the IDEA uh, special education grant, uh, Perkins uh, grant, a variety of other external funds, uh, titles uh, one, three, four, things of that nature. Um, this year, we've added that column on the far right because of the significant influx of federal dollars uh, as a result of uh, the COVID-19 related legislation that's passed over the course of the last year. As we've developed our budgetary priorities, we've focused primarily on three uh, general areas, personnel and staffing, uh, which is always going to be the bulk of this budget and any other budget in a school system. Materials and infrastructure, where the supplies and the sort of hardware that 
that our school communities are in need of, and training and professional development, specifically within the context of identifying how do we uh, best repair and rebuild uh, from the instructional disruption that's taken place over the course of the last two years. So to that end, each of our directors and principals were asked as part of the budget uh, development process that referenced uh, a moment ago uh, to look at these areas and to think through what are the most strategic targeted and, and intensive interventions that uh, we can apply in the short term uh, to try to uh, bring it about as much uh, remedial support as is possible and also put our students back into as good of a position, if not better, than they were prior to that disruption. And so we look at strategic staffing opportunities. We look at what are the programs that perhaps we were able to fund as a result of CARES Act funding, other external funding opportunities that came in as a result of the pandemic, and, how, and what are the best practices that we've been able to identify that we want to systematize and eventually incorporate into our oper operating budget. As we said, um, as far back as April 26th, when we look at our priorities in total, understanding that there are a number of variables, including things like uh, specific restrictions on some of that federal funding coming in and what it can be used for and what it can't, keeping in mind the one-time nature of that funding and not wanting to uh, create structural deficits that uh, will put the district toward a fiscal cliff when the federal money runs out, and also understanding that we have uh, upwards of nine collective bargaining agreements that are expiring this year, and those negotiations will be starting uh, soon. Um, so understand that we've got those variables that are lead to a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of anxiousness on our part, trying to make sure that we build a budget that is sensible and that takes into account all of those contextual factors. Our projections are that we're looking at somewhere between a 3.4 and $5.8 million uh, increase. And so that takes into account our $2.1 million uh, worth of fixed costs. I will say that in the last week, some of our estimates um, have suggested that, that uh, we could be exceeding that with respect to fixed costs. Much of that is attributable to special education uh, fixed costs. And as we discussed on May 6th, when our Office of Pupil Services presented, um, we know that there are a number of factors that go into budgeting in the special education context and in, in that realm, uh, including a lot, a, a large amount of external funding that will come in and will offset a, a lot of those expenses. And so that's not necessarily a reason to panic, um, but it is, I think it's worth noting anecdotally that um, this is why these numbers, these numbers are fluid and, and why it's, it's hard to sort of pinpoint and say this is exactly how much it will cost to operate the Medford Public Schools next year. But generally speaking, we still feel uh, pretty confident about that range of 3.4 to $5.8 million. Uh, this year, one of the defining characteristics of the year has been the ESSER, uh, the ESSER funding, uh, and excuse me, the CARES Act funding. Uh, we had also have uh, a, a limited amount of ESSER 1 funding still remaining that we will need to expend prior to the conclusion of fiscal year 2021. Um, the ESSER funds that we're looking at next year uh, ESSER 2 and ESSER 3 amount to approximately $7.6 million. And these are, um, generally speaking, the, uh, the uses that uh, we're expecting based on the guidance that we have related to ESSER 2 and our expectation that ESSER 3 funding um, will, in many respects, be an extension of that. Okay, so now we'll get into um, a slightly different format than we've used before for these four categories. Um, joining us tonight are Faiza Khan, our Director of Mathematics, uh, Paul Tashera, Director of English Learners, Alan Arena and Molly Layden are representing our technology group. And I'll talk a little bit about the structure of that technology group uh, when, they, when we uh, move into the technology realm. 
and Bobby Maloney is here to represent athletics and community schools to talk about our priorities. So this is a slightly simplified version of the format that we've presented these priorities in before. Um, that is in part because uh, you've seen this presentation three or four times now. Um, and for purposes of efficiency and expediency, I, I think this might be a slightly more efficient way to do it. The one piece of information that is not included uh, in the slides that are before you, but is included in the documentation that the school committee was provided today. And that can be a basis for discussion both tonight, tomorrow night when we when we reconvene, as well as our budget update that will take place on Monday. If your regular meeting on May 24th will be a budget update. And so um, I recognize some of the documents were not, uh, you didn't receive until uh, late today. And again, we'll, we'll have the discussion, we'll hear from the directors tonight, but um, if anyone has conversation that uh, is emanating out of uh, review of that of those documents. Um, we're happy to take that up tonight, tomorrow, and on Monday. So you'll have uh, ample time to to discuss that in this forum. The one piece that's not in in these slides that was in the previous ones um, are the uh, long term budgetary priorities. I think that had led to some confusion in our conversation a few times over the last uh, couple of committees committee of the whole meetings. Um, the the administration is not recommending that the long those long-term priorities are incorporated into FY22 into the operating budget. They are things that we want the community and the school committee to know about because we feel that they are important and they're um, strategic priorities that in time the district does need to pursue. But when we look at that 3.4 to 5.8 million dollar uh, projected range with regard to increased costs, those are not including the pieces that we think are important enough to talk about. We think it's critical that they be on the school committee and the community's radar, but they're not necessarily something that we think is necessary or prudent uh, to pursue in fiscal year 2022. However, as I said, if looking through those documents, you see anything that you'd like to ask about uh, the many members of the senior leadership team, as well as the directors uh, that will be speaking before you tonight, um, we'll be happy to, to expand upon those and to explain the rationale as to why they landed into the, in the category of long-term priority versus FY22 priority. So um, mathematics and English learners, um, I, my hope is as you look through these uh, uh, budgetary priorities, that's similar to um, what seemed to be the case in our discussions related to all of the other departments and offices who have already presented, that you'll see some common threads. Again, these are priorities that were developed by asking practitioners, what are the things that uh, will be most useful and most impactful with respect to uh, rebuilding and restoring um, the, the, uh, the, the position that students were in, and then also um, capitalizing on what we've learned as a result of the disruption that has occurred over the course of the past two years. So in some cases, as you see, uh, and as we've done in the past, the green check marks indicate uh, these are budgetary priorities that have already been uh, endorsed by the school committee via your votes uh, in the in the previous uh, presentations. Um, and that is true for the restoration of the math interventionist positions at the middle school level. And that might be a good jumping off point uh, for this conversation. Uh, Ms. Khan, if you would like to um, perhaps speak about the implications of those uh, restoration of the math interventionist positions at the um, at the McGlynn and the Andrews Middle School and why um, those were identified both by the school principal, yourself, and the administration uh, with respect to their importance and their impact on students. Yes, thank you, Mr. Murphy. Thank you, uh, school committee members, um, for your time uh, tonight. I can definitely speak uh, to 
uh, having one math interventionist at each of the middle schools. Um, I, I have uh, been um, doing a lot of research and reaching out to the other districts to see how they are uh, mitigating the impact of uh, uh, COVID-19, the challenging times that we have had. And uh, this is uh, one piece that uh, almost every place has um, put in place, uh, whether it's through SR funding or through other means. Um, I, I feel like this is uh, gonna have a big impact on our student success because they work with small groups, they work with identified small groups, and um, these interventionists are, um, are trained. They either have a lot of experience in the field uh, or uh, they have taken a lot of uh, professional development to, um, to be able to identify uh, and, and, and they know how to identify where the gaps are. And then they um, you know, uh, apply those strategies so that students um, are given um, the, the right uh, kind of help at the right time uh, with, with, the, with, the, with the concepts uh, where the gaps are. So I personally believe, I professionally believe that uh, these two uh, positions, uh, one at each school, will play an, an important role in, um, in bringing um, equity to our students in mathematics specifically. Thank you, Ms. Khan. And um, I, I, my hope would be, as I said, I, I hope that the, for those who have been watching this process play out over the course of the last several weeks, that you'll see again uh, consistency, both from a thematic perspective and from a tactical perspective, that um, it's been heartening for myself and um, for others involved in this in the process of developing this budget to see the extent to which there's a consensus behind uh, several of these priorities. Um, and, and I think that recognizing um, that the, you know, there could be a broad consensus, but you know sometimes it's just a matter of budgetary capacity and things that we're not able to pursue. Um, but in this case, uh, particularly if it turns out that some of the external funding uh, is earmarked, as it may well be, uh, or functionally air, earmarked at least, uh, for the restoration of, uh, of, of budgetary items that were eliminated in the wake of the pandemic, um, these positions are certainly ripe for consideration with respect to that. At the elementary level, um, you may recall that during the elementary presentation on May 3rd, uh, there was discussion with respect to some of the math curriculum and uh, some of the strategic decisions that were going into uh, items being either piloted or procured for fiscal year 22. And this is frankly, there's both an organizational uh, component of this, uh, of the Envisions uh, uh, program and, and the procurement of that, that I'm gonna ask Ms. Khan to speak about in a minute to talk about the implications of that. Um, but in addition to the sort of organizational decision as to what, where to make that investment, um, there's, there was also strategic decisions as to how and where to budget this. And given the district-wide, or at least at the elementary level, district-wide um, uh, impact of this program, um, we felt that the math, the math department was the appropriate place to, to budget for it. Uh, and then through a collaboration with Ms. Galusi and uh, Ms. Khan, um, we've identified a, um, a, a way in which uh, this is an investment we can make at a more, more efficiently. And so um, Ms. Khan, if Ms. Khan would like to speak to that as to what that means for the elementary schools and, and uh, how her creative thinking positioned us to save 25,000, I think that might interest the committee. Thank you. So um, happy to do so. Uh, as we all know, we have been using Envisions uh, 2015 
Uh, that's what the program is called. Uh, however, we incorporated it in the 2014-2015 year uh, in Medford Public Schools. Um, it was up for renewal um, last year in June. Um, that is June 2020. Uh, we had to renew it because um, our committee, our elementary program uh, implementation um, and review committee had started working since October of 2019 but um, it had not come to a conclusion as to which particular programs to choose and which ones to pilot. Um, we had developed a rubric um, and if um, our school committee members recall and the community members recall, I had given um, an outline of um, the, the, the time frame um, in April, in my April meeting, and also at a subcommittee meeting, uh, uh, curriculum subcommittee meeting in December. Um, so we are currently in the process of looking at different programs. Um, the committee is uh, listening to presentations by different um, uh, publishers. Um, so it seems uh, imperative that we will be renewing Envisions uh, for one more year uh, while our teachers, not all of them, but the committee members will be piloting um, programs um, uh, through all four elementary schools. Um, and um, so the Envisions program that we have used for years now, um, I, I would like to mention that uh, it is uh, the program that we have been using um, is Envisions 2015, and there's a new version of it that's out. It's Envisions 2020. Um, last year, we used the online version of 2020 because we were uh, given that uh, version uh, free of charge when we renewed the program, the Envisions 2015 program, the paper and the online version, um, because that was, um, if we would have gone uh, for the paper version of 2020, that would have um, caused us um, a lot of, a lot of uh, our teachers would have uh, to learn a slightly different program on a very short notice. So we um, continued that. And uh, this year, uh, when we are looking at different options, uh, it seems like uh, Envisions uh, 2020, the online version, um, is a, a better way to go because Envisions 2015 um, is uh, so outdated that it's not uh, being offered in the full capacity. So Ms. Galusi and I have talked and it seems like um, we will be moving forward with uh, renewing the program, uh, but not the Envisions 2015 version, but Envisions 2020 version. Um, I think many teachers have gotten a chance to get their feet wet uh, with the program. Uh, it's just that the paper version that we will be getting this year will be Envisions 2020, and I am uh, going to take a very close look um, at it to see what the alignment is. But the Envisions 2020 is much more in line with the frameworks which came out in 2017 as compared to its um, uh, counterpart. So um, that's where we will be saving the money because our older program was uh, much more expensive, and this version is coming to us cheaper. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Khan. So uh, before uh, we move on to our English Learner Department and Mr. Teixeira, um, again, I, I wanna point out the sort of common threads that connect the budgetary priorities and, and uh, what I, I hope and believe to be both a coherent and coordinated manner. And so if you see the final two bullets there about the extended day program 
and the summer learning program. Uh, that is, uh, it, it's again, consistent with what you've seen from other departments. And what we as an organization are currently focused on is developing uh, right now immediately summer programming um, that will in all likelihood be funded largely through the ESSER funding um, to add additional uh, intensive intervention opportunities to give students both academic uh, opportunities uh, for purposes of remedial support and then um, just as and, and perhaps more importantly social and emotional supports to help uh, reacclimate students to the, the school environment and so you'll, you'll essentially see that in just about every department that uh, we're looking at how do we develop programs that give each department in each area of our educational program the opportunity uh, to connect with students, to give them the opportunity to, again, become reacclimated and, and familiarize themselves with the learning opportunities that are represented by our various departments. And so just briefly, Ms. Khan, if you wanted to touch upon uh, the, uh, the, the summer program uh, that's in development and then uh, the importance of uh, looking at uh, various extended school day initiatives um, that, again, we will be looking at from a district perspective and how do we coordinate that and make sure that there is uh, opportunity um, for all of the content areas to be involved in that. But um, just with respect to the, that, the importance of doing that um, for purposes of, of rebuilding uh, post-pandemic. Absolutely, thank you. So um, I proposed uh, this uh, week-long four-hour each-day math academy at each grade level from six to 12, uh, because I noticed uh, that uh, there are some gaps that um, that are very basic and uh, that, that they can be filled, um, you know, via smaller projects, via uh, certain, um, you know, in-person games and, 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 you know, very hands-on activities. Uh, and I know our students have been at home, uh, you know, uh, zooming in day in and day out uh, for a very long period of time. So uh, I am uh, hoping to run this four-hour each-day math academy, 6 through 12, uh, so that students uh, don't just learn math via worksheets or just via looking at the screen. This will be uh, in person, so the students will actually come in um, and um, learn math uh, through engaging activities that will be taken for uh, 6 to 8 level from uh, illustrative mathematics itself and um, uh, through uh, Engage New York or Illustrative Mathematics uh, for 9 through uh, 12 or 9 through 11 as need be. Great, and so um, just, to, just to wrap up mathematics, and, and I think if it's okay with you, Mayor, I think we'll go through the four department areas and then take questions um, in mass after that. But, um, You'll notice in the documents that the school committee has and it will have be on our website after tonight, the long-term priorities are ones with significant dollar figures attached to them and are the, the need to eventually uh, incorporate uh, or reincorporate, I guess, math coaches into our uh, departmental structure um, and looking at math intervention specialists at the elementary schools. Those are two things um, with an estimated price tag of, of a half million dollars that the district absolutely uh, believes to be important, but um, just uh, with, in terms of measuring potential impact and looking at the sequence of how these priorities get pursued, the literacy intervention at the elementary school and the math and literacy intervention specialists at the middle school uh, essentially just came out on top and looking at um, what, what was it that was most important right now. That's not to say that if we find ourselves in a favorable financial position, it may well be the case that we would look to retain 
um, one math coach theoretically at the elementary level to start building out that capacity so that when um, the, the, fund, the funding capacity is there, we're better positioned uh, to retain uh, uh, that type of personnel. But for right now, um, that is, uh, those priorities live in the long-term priorities as opposed to the FY22 recommendations. Um, so thank you, Ms. Khan. I, I'm gonna turn now to Mr. Teixeira, um, who is a, a, a providing a steady leadership as always in the English Learner Department. Um, and one of the key substantive priorities there uh, is with respect to the Imagine Learning uh, program that uh, Mr. Teixeira can uh, discuss in uh, greater detail than I can. So I'm gonna ask him to do that at this time. Great. Good evening, everyone. Um, thank you for your time this evening. Uh, with regard to Imagine Learning, we used uh, $5,000 of the CARES Act money last year to pilot test this with our newcomer students in grades 6 through 12. And it was hugely successful. Uh, the teachers liked it. The students liked it. The uh, teachers reported progress. It's an adaptive literacy program specifically geared toward English learners uh, that gives uh, frequent formative assessment along the way. So the teachers can not only, it's not a, it's a standalone program, but the teachers can use this data to incorporate um, the skill set into their instruction because of the vast formative assessments that are provided uh, on a regular basis. And so what I'm looking to do is increase that to uh, expand it to some level three and four students, uh, as well as bring it down to fourth and fifth grade. I don't think we need it with the primary grades because we do have Lexia uh, for the K1 and 2 and um, going from there. And I believe uh, three is also using Lexia. Um, stop me if I'm not correct on that. And then um, in terms of staffing, I'm remaining level funded. Um, we did add a position last year to the high school, which uh, was critical this year uh, because even though our overall numbers are low uh, because of border closings and COVID, the numbers at the high school continue to grow. So that position uh, was desperately needed at the high school. Uh, given how things may change in the next coming year, uh, I'm, I believe we're adequately staffed to support uh, any new students coming into the district. Um, with regard to any additional expenses, I was looking to uh, restore my textbook budget back to um, the funding from two years ago, which would be a $7,000 increase because of the changes in the U.S. in the history curriculum at the high school. Uh, I do need to purchase textbooks for our level one and two students who would be taking uh, history uh, as, a, as opposed to, because world history got is combined into one class now, U.S one and two are now separated. Uh, typically, we didn't offer uh, US history for our newcomer students because of the trajectory that the students follow would be in year one, they would take world one, year two, they would take world two. In year three, they, they could be in a mainstream history class. All of the history teachers are SEI endorsed and they're typically level three students going into those history classes. So you wouldn't need a separate program for that. Now with the changes, we do need the separate history program, which means we would need, we'd follow the same curriculum, but we would need a, a textbook that would be a little bit different from what the mainstream uses. And other than that, everything else is staying the same. Great. Thank you, Paul. Um, 
So as we move on to our technology area before uh, wrapping up with athletics, um, the committee knows, of course, that uh, in our, our technology uh, uh, department or departments uh, consists of our instructional technology group uh, led by Molly Layden and our operational technology, I'm going to say group, although the group is largely represented by Alan here uh, on, on the call um, with occasional support lent uh, from other departments, um, who, Alan uh, focusing on our, our network infrastructure. And you'll see in the budget narratives that have been provided to you that a large portion of the budgetary priorities on the operational side are likely uh, to be pursued as capital improvement priorities um, as a way of, of staying off the, the operating budget. There are, another, there are a number of other um, annual costs and uh, essentially uh, costs that I think could be associated, could, could accurately be described as uh, def uh, technological deferred maintenance uh, that will need to be addressed in time. And uh, Mr. Arena can speak to that in a moment. But first, on the instructional side, um, one of the pieces that we heard in meeting with our elementary um, staff was uh, the need to, to look at um, a few specific uh, pieces of technology that did not benefit from the very substantial investment that the district made as part of the CARES Act funding. Um, you'll recall that we, we uh, spent upwards of, uh, in the vicinity of $2.5 million uh, toward instructional technology as a result of the CARES Act funding, uh, procured a large supply of uh, Chromebooks that will keep us um, at a, essentially a one-to-one -one, uh, level uh, for the next couple of years at least. Um, we were also able to procure things, uh, assistive technology and adaptive technology that are used in the classroom, like microphones and headsets and um, a variety of pieces like that. The projectors, uh, I think it's fair to say, and, and uh, Ms. Layden, you can certainly um, characterize this yourself, but the, we're sort of the piece that we didn't quite get to in this uh, round of investment in FY21. Uh, and so projectors, and then as a result of that question, the question becomes, if we're going to go back and to address the classroom projector issue, is there a more optimal uh, uh, technology that we should be looking at instead? And so Ms. Layden has raised the issue of uh, perhaps uh, moving toward uh, the exploration of smart panels. And so, um, Molly, could you maybe take it from there and talk a little bit about those specific priorities and how we think that might bridge some of the gaps that uh, for all the investment we did make um, that wasn't necessarily included in this in the past uh, round of multi-million dollar spending on instructional tech? Sure. Uh, good evening. Um, yes, as you know, we, we did have substantial technology investments over the last year. Um, and then some of the things that we're looking at in terms of uh, what's in the current budget is really going back to or going forward to after pandemic. And so as everyone is back in the classroom and the libraries are open, and so this department is library media and technology. And so one of the um, items we're looking to do is expand our library opening hours, which is, which, which is actually um, increasing the paraprofessional support so that we are open uh, as principals have requested both before and after school, which right now our libraries are staffed during school hours. And so there's been a, a request for additional hours. So we're looking at expanding those um, paraprofessional support. Um, the projectors uh, that Mr. Murphy is just referring to. So um, there's, we're actually just in a continuous role of replacing projectors or projector bulbs and those projectors primarily were installed in our 2012 uh, bond and so uh, we've certainly been replacing a lot over the years but we're really hitting the, the end of life for a lot of them and so as we look to be replacing these at $1,000 a pop or $600 a pop depending on, on which um, type of projector and which kind of room 
Uh, we're looking at look, looking at a, a more current technology that may save us from doing this constant replacement and then replacing bulbs and, and mounting interactive panels. And so we've been doing some exploration of that. It's a more significant investment and installation, but in the long term, it's just a more current technology. These projectors are continuously being replaced by one model after another. So we're trying to keep up with the supplies for those and supporting those. And so it's it's a an area that we did not look to do during the last year because most of our classrooms did not get occupied until later in the in the pandemic. Um, so that's the projector interactive panel technology decisions that we're looking at making over the course of the upcoming year. Um, we are well endowed at this point with a lot of devices um, from Chromebooks to um, laptops for uh, staff to assistive technology, as Mr. Murphy mentioned, we do have a remaining group of uh, 2012 Windows 7 desktops that um, we are looking to get rid of um, and replace. So we, we have not finalized that removal. Some of those will go because we don't need them in terms of open labs um, as students have Chromebooks on a one-to-one -one basis um, and teachers won't necessarily need them because they have new new devices that will be instructional devices but we do have a fair amount of other device windows 7 desktops that we're, we're hoping to remove from from play um, we do have a need for uh, website support we have not had that essentially in a year so there's been a lot of people filling that hole but we don't have a, a webmaster and certainly beyond just getting things posted we do need to maintain the site and continue to, to check the back end and to make sure it's supported and it's secure and it's still working and it makes sense and it's a logical place to find information. So that's something we're looking at moving forward with. Um, as, we've, as we've certainly increased our technology, we have also increased our need for additional tech support. Um, we have a lot that has been happening with very few staff. And so we really do want to be able to be more responsive. And as we have essentially one-to-one -one and addition of things like everything from document cameras to hopefully interactive panels to um, webcams to all sorts of things that are now in the hands of, of our staff and, and students that were not before we really could use additional tech, technical support. We've been um, working well shorthanded this year, but in general for the last few years with two people um, and then one is supporting, hopefully supporting network part of the time. And so we really could use additional uh, technical support. And we have two um, technology teaching labs that have not yet been updated since that initial 2012 uh, time. And that the two that are remaining are the Brooks Elementary School and the Columbus Elementary School. And that was planned to happen this year. Um, all the other instructional teaching labs have been updated to, to higher level machines to be able to do more that we are now asking students to do in those labs um, beyond the the, the need of a, a Chromebook, this really can do more. So we have two remaining labs that we hope to do, if not before the end of this year, then, then soon after that, so before the new, the new school year opens. So all technology teaching labs will be updated. Um, and then um, the extended school day program, I think that Mr. Murphy, you may be able to, to address that more if that's part of another initiative as well. Yeah, and it just uh, similar to what we mentioned, I think uh, in, the, in the math presentation and maybe as well, the committee's heard this a few times over that. Um, when we think about how do we build back uh, in the wake of the pandemic, we're looking to see what are all the variables that we have some degree of control over. And the use of time, the use of time of the, of the year are the two things that come to mind or, or, or excuse me, are really at the top of that list that we have to be thinking in a more flexible way about what constitutes the school year. 
and what constitutes the school day. And so that's why you're hearing a lot about potential summer programming uh, as well as extended school day. And when we talk about the extended school day, similar to when we were talking about world languages and, um, and, and, and fine arts, while there is an emphasis on mathematics and literacy um, for reasons, particularly at the younger grades that are, are somewhat self-evident, um, there's also a need for in robust engagement. And there is a population of students that who will better engage from a literacy and math perspective if we're able to give an array of programming opportunities. And that's why we're looking throughout uh, for each department uh, to see how best um, to engage students and uh, position, position them to, to have success both during the school day uh, and after the school day. Um, so uh, that, that's a good overview there. Uh, for Mr. Arena uh, has sort of the second half of the technology piece that's represented more in the documents that you've received uh, previously as opposed to this. The reason being, they are many of them are capital related projects. Um, although there are some, as I said, renewals and some other pieces that we'll have to take a look at. Um, my sense from sort of reviewing previous budget uh, presentations is that sometimes uh, Mr. Arena's area has sort of been folded into other departments and I thought it was important uh, for the committee to, to hear about the operational side of the ledger as well, in part because um, if the operations are not running smoothly, um, as everyone knows, we can't get to the place where we'll be able, able to provide um, high quality instruction. And so um, just uh, because the, there's a long list as, as the committee knows, of uh, operational matters that will have to be addressed in time on the infrastructure side. Um, Alan, if you wanted to just talk briefly about the importance of securing our networks and making sure that we have the appropriate arch archiving and other uh, systems that are in place so that should we uh, face a, a failure of some kind, um, we're able to, to restore the system uh, as efficiently and quickly as possible and that um, we don't run the risk of content uh, being lost. I think that, that I, I recognize that's one piece of a larger sort of systems approach that we need to take on the technology infrastructure side, but that might be just uh, a good illustration of some of the work that needs to, to take place before we uh, move on to hear from Mr. Maloney in athletics. We have to unmute Mr. Arena. I might be able to do myself. No, Dr. Cushing, are you able to unmute Alan? Oh, yes. Yep, I can do it too. There you go, Mr. Arena. Um, I can tell you that from, although Dave has uh, appropriately combed out uh, those types of um, expenditures that have to occur because the subscription based and therefore if you don't pay for those, then they shut the subscriptions down. <clears throat> but in addition to that, we have from a um, disaster recovery standpoint, most of the network is running off of virtual servers and they pretty much uh, run everything that's going on in the in the technology world. People wouldn't be able to log on, get out to the internet, uh, store data, all those good things. And uh, unfortunately, because of the age of the devices, uh, these things are well past their mean time before failure. In fact, many of them have already um, uh, started to fail. And unfortunately, we can't get replacement hardware or support for these. So those are the types of things that we're looking to get refunded for next year so that in the event that we ever have to initiate a disaster recovery, uh, we have been um, set up in such a fashion as to guarantee that. Uh, we're doing some uh, uh, backups now. Um, unfortunately, it's with uh, independent devices. We'd like to incorporate that across the board so that we can both back up uh, data and servers so that we can recover in the event that something does go sideways on us. Thank you, Alan. Um, and so again, there'll be 
uh, more discussion about that as we get into the articulation of our capital priorities. I think we typically think of a lot of our capital priorities living in the buildings and grounds area. Um, that's certainly true. And there's, there's, there's as we know, uh, plenty of HVAC work uh, to, to take to do and things like roofs and, and generators and, and all that. But um, there's also some heavy infrastructure on the technology side that uh, we'll need to prioritize and address uh, in, the, in the coming months. Um, so finally, last but not least tonight, our athletic department, um, which uh, uh, Mr. Moni will speak to. And um, specifically, you know, one of the, again, to go back to the sort of the common threads, the common themes that you're hearing across each department, a lot of it has to do with student engagement and how do we um, identify the best strategies uh, to take a population of students who have in, in, in every respect had their education uh, disrupted. And as you've heard us say before, make sure that this experience over the course of the past few years does not define the remainder of their academic careers with the Medford Public Schools. And uh, Mr. Moy is gonna speak to um, one particular initiative that we're looking to uh, address. And it may be something that in the short term, uh, we would look at ESSER fund funding for. Um, in large part, as you know, the athletic department is, is funded through user fees and other uh, revenue generating uh, sources. But um, with respect to the Unified Champion Sports Program, we see that as an opportunity potentially uh, to uh, deepen the level of engagement um, across our student body in athletics and hopefully reach, uh, uh, give students an opportunity uh, that they otherwise would not have to engage on a social and emotional level uh, through the use of sports. So Bobby, do you wanna uh, take it from there and talk a little bit about the importance of that program and why it's something we've identified as a, as a key priority? Sure, thank you, Dave. Uh, uh, I wanna thank the committee for having me tonight. Uh, special thanks to the, the mayor, the, the superintendent for their leadership school committee for allowing us to uh, get get our sports in this year. It's, it's, the, the kids have been unbelievable. They've gone through a lot. Uh, they're resilient. We started our spring season today. So in another six weeks, we're going to be happy to say we completed a, a season. Though it was shortened, our kids got an opportunity to participate with their friends. Uh, and we gave them some kind of season. But it would not have been uh, successful without the support of the school committee, the superintendent, the mayor, our trainer did an incredible job and our coaches stepped up. Uh, Rachel and I, uh, uh, last year, we wanted to do this before COVID struck. Uh, we would like to add unified games to our athletic uh, arena. Uh, we, we would like to tap into our special needs population. Uh, this would give them an opportunity to participate in the fall and the spring. Uh, everyone who, all the schools that participate in this, it's a wonderful event. And uh, especially what, what these kids have gone through. And we think now's the time to pull the trigger on it. Uh, I've had conversations with Joan Bowen, Rachel Perry, and Paul DeLeva. Uh, we're looking for approval of the school committee. We'll, and then we'll get approval from the MIA. And we can get this off the ground in September. But again, special thanks to the central administration. Uh, we're happy we're going to get a, a spring season in. And Tony Ray's been incredible. And our train has been incredible. So thank you to everybody. Thank you, Bobby. Uh, so again, the, the, the four areas you've uh, heard from tonight, um, hopefully you've been able to see and, and recognize the connection across uh, from a thematic perspective as studies that we're trying to do in a coordinated effort uh, to bring the district back and position our students um, to be well served um, in the wake of a very disruptive couple of years. Um, these departments you probably noticed are not necessarily um, the biggest dollar values attached to some of these investments. Some of the priorities uh, could theoretically be absorbed by 
existing budgets uh, and others will would re require uh, uh, additional investment, some of which, as I said, uh, would be appropriate for ESSER funding. Others uh, will be pieces that we'll be looking to incorporate into the operating budget um, based on the fact that they are in some, in one respect or another, a fixed cost in order to make sure that our instructional program is moving forward. So uh, with that, uh, as we have over the course of the last several evenings, uh, we'll be happy to take your questions uh, and thoughts and, and feedback uh, as we build toward the superintendent's uh, recommendations uh, for a budget request from the school committee. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Thank you to all the department heads. Um, I think we're gonna go one or two questions um, each and, and go around like we had before, that's working well. Um, Mia, if you wanna go, member Ms. Stone? Sure, thank you, Mayor. Um, Mr. Murphy, correct me because I'm getting all the budgets confused. For transportation, I saw that both Mr. Maloney talked about after school, late buses for middle school, Andrews and McGuinness. And then also Mr. Textara mentioned to do something with the um, ELL students with the late bus. So is the transportation budget, have we not seen it yet or am I, or is it the meeting I missed? No, you, you have not seen the specific, the transportation budget. There are line items within some of the departments who have presented that have uh, extracurricular transportation included in them. Um, we fully anticipate having additional after-school transportation prioritized next year and funded through the ESSER budget to ensure the maximum amount of participation in some of these after-school programs. So you will see that specific line when we present the opera operations-based okay. budget um, tomorrow. But uh, just so there isn't confusion, athletics has a line item for transportation. Um, the fine arts program has a line item for transportation because uh, students are going to competitions and, and going to athletic events and things of that nature. So it sort of lives in, in a few different places, um, but the sort sure. of additional investment um, that will be specific to fiscal year 22 will be presented tomorrow evening as part of the district-wide operations budget. Great, thank you. Um, and then the other question was, um, now I'm looking to, I'm sorry that, uh, Paul or Mayor, you can ask someone else, and I'll I'll get back well, to well, it. Well, Miss Stone, while you uh, find that, could I just finish the answer to, uh, so that I don't leave it uh, dangling? Um, we are looking, as it's probably clear, at a very comprehensive approach toward extended day and after school activities in the 21-22 school year. That could look different as the programming evolves. So I would anticipate tomorrow presenting you with a number which we've identified that we think would be appropriate based on the, the sort of size and scope of the after-school extended day programming that we're thinking about. But that programming is admittedly still being developed and in part because we're still identifying what kids need going into next year. And that's gonna be a project that's going to carry into the beginning of next school year. So while there will be a, a after-school transportation budget that will be presented to you tomorrow, and I think it ultimately will likely live in the ESSER budget, um, I also think that's a number that could fluctuate uh, over time. And, and that's frankly part of why it's good that we have some ESSER capacity because the reason I think that the rationale behind ESSER lasting multiple years is it's gonna take us a while to identify exactly what it is students need and how we can best support them. So um, you will see a number tomorrow night, but I think it's one that's likely to fluctuate in the future. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Member Kretz, then Member Rousseau, then Member Vandekloot. Thank you. Um, yes, I wanted to thank 
everybody for their presentations. And I just wanted to express that I think it's fantastic with this week-long four-hour each-day math academy at each grade level for 6 to 12 in August. I just, I can't believe it. That's just phenomenal. And I wanted to know, will this academy be at each school or is it going to be centrally located? I was just curious how that was going to work. And is there a particular week that's picked out or will it be um, you're still working out the details? I, I think it's, I'll have this kind of speak to the specifics of, from a content perspective, but I think it's fair to say from a logistical perspective, we are definitely still working out the details in part because we're going to have a very uh, multi-tiered um, summer uh, program, at least if we have to, and we're in the process of developing that. We have just in anticipation of this and because from a strategic perspective, we have to, be, um, we have to start uh, recruiting people. Um, we have just today posted a series of summer-based uh, positions um, for people that want to work at some of the uh, intervention camps that will be open at the elementary level. Um, we'll be speaking to the committee about that in much greater detail in, in the near future. But um, because we have all these different pieces that have to line up, it's going to take us a little while to line up all the logistics. Certainly from a calendar perspective, we don't want people having to choose between should I go to math camp or should I go to SEL uh, enrichment experience uh, program? That is not a, um, that's not a choice we want kids making. Also from a building perspective, we want to, we want to do what's most convenient uh, for families, of course, and also um, getting students, particularly those who have been not, have not been in the building and, and, and by that point a year and a half, we want to get them in the building so that they can get, as I said, reacclimated to the school environment. At the same time, we're going to have to look at what's the most the efficiency will always like play a role in this. And so it may be the case that students are technically inside one school, but you know, a few weeks from now they go to a school in another. But at, at that point, you know, there may be cases where we just say a school is a school. And as long as we get them out and not in front of a computer, but actually in front of a human being um, and learning, that will be a step in the right direction. So those are definitely things that have to be ironed out in the context of all the other programming that we're planning. Thank you. And I just had a question or, you know, maybe a recommendation for the technology um, in terms of consulting the part-time web support and maintenance. Um, I'm just thinking about our um, uh, CTE students who are in the computer, you know, program. If there's opportunities for those students to maybe work part-time after school, um, I'm not sure if they could get there before school, but I mean, I think that's a great, um, you know, option. You yeah. know, some of those students are in there, you know, going into their senior year and um, they could apply what they've learned and helping out in the support, you know, maintenance. So Ms. Kretz, I don't know if that's a, if you're, if you've intentionally teed that question up uh, mm -hmm. for us as a segue into tomorrow night, but um, oh. Diane Caldwell, our former associate superintendent has done um, work on a part-time uh, basis, uh, probably not as much part-time as she was intending, frankly, um, throughout the course of this year, both uh, supporting us in a parent information center and convening a working group to look at our website. And she has recruited um, the support of Lisa Miller from our vocational uh, program, who is also um, in the process of recruiting students from uh, her program that will help support us and have an active working group, both uh, in some revisions to the website and as looking at it on an ongoing basis uh, to, to determine um, where we need additional professional support and from a consulting perspective, and what are some of the fixes that we can put into place over the course of this summer to have um, a more, as, as Ms. Layden said, a more sort of one-stop shop uh, and efficient uh, information source through the website. So um, I think we, we fully agree with that. And that is something that 
um, it would be my hope that over the course of, uh, if, if not over the summer, early in the next school year, uh, we'll be able to present to the committee, not just some improvements to the DISC website, but also some uh, student um, experts who have come in and helped uh, to lend their expertise to that project. Thank you. That's it for me. Thank you. Thank you, Member Kretz. Member Roussel? And then Member um, Van de Kloop. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I, um, I guess I'll just start at the top of the presentation. Um, so we have no uh, math interventionists in the elementary schools today. I don't believe there's any specific uh, support at the elementary level in the form of interventions. Is that correct, Ms. Scott? That's right. Okay. Um, I, I heard reference, a lot of these um, long-term budgetary priorities are expensive. It seems like um, we are doing an awful lot of putting all the expensive things into the future as if there'll actually be a day when we have more money than today. Um, it feels a bit Twilight Zone-like situation here. Uh, do we really think we're going to have more money in the future than we have now? I'm, I'm a little surprised. It feels like between the members here and the educators and, and superintendents, we have lifetimes of experience. Does anybody remember having more money ever? The answer, I think the answer is no. So, you know, um, I, I think when we talk about long-term priorities, we should just call them what they are, things we know we're not gonna get. Um, so it, a lot of these things feel like we know we need, um, and um, by putting them in this category, we're saying, we know we need them, they're really important, but it makes it look like we're gonna get to them. And that's just not true. Um, so, you know, I, up until this meeting, the first two meetings or three, I forget which one we're on, first three meetings, I, I was understanding the long-term budgetary priorities to be included in the budget proposal we will be offering. So I was a little surprised to hear that clarification or how it would be can be framed. Um, do we want to go department by department, Mayor? Do you think that makes more sense? Either way, we've kind of jumped over all around already. So I think okay. just sticking to the one to two questions. But yeah, if you want to okay. start with okay. it, math, math and English learners. Michael, I have a te technology question, so. Yeah, um, I have a few of those. That's why I didn't want to jump down there. Um, so I guess my, my second question, I'm not even sure if I ever asked the first question, sorry. Um, the, um, <laughs> the EL um, item in the long-term budgetary priorities, this, this seems very aligned to the Student Opportunity Act and uh, community and family engagement. So I'm surprised to see it there. I understand that it says TBD for budgetary impact because perhaps there just hasn't been time to get around to figuring out what that might look like and cost. But when I think about families that are at risk or students that are at risk, this seems like a surprising thing to be a, we'll get to it in the future. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, I mean, I don't know how many that I'm, I said a lot. I don't know. There certainly are EL students whose families have not, been able to receive the benefits that that have come to middle-income folks like myself this last year um and these are these seem to me like kind of all that the kind of people i apologize for that but the the students and families that we should be focused on making sure we can actually reach them so 
um, support orient support orientation and registration processes for families of EL students. Um, I, I'm just very surprised to see that not as a critical item, frankly. And I'm wondering if there's any commentary on why that is. I think so, because I, I think, um, and I think this connects to, or I hope responsive to uh, your initial comments as well related to, like, does it end up in the long-term category because it's something we're essentially, uh, you know, giving up on and we don't think will ever actually be realized. And I would say that there are a few different reasons that something could end up in a long-term uh, priority. And I can think of sort of three concrete ones that are all distinct from one another. The math coaching positions are positions that, um, and again, I, I'm going to give the very short version of this, but we can bring Ms. Khan back in a later presentation to speak at length about it, um, or Ms. Guthrie or Dr. Cushing, because it's all related to their areas. We're not organizationally set up to capitalize on those positions to the degree that we would like to. We don't think that at funding those positions right now would maximize their value. And while pre preceded my time, uh, I've had multiple administrators throughout this budgetary process identify those as something that will be very helpful when we are ready. But there are there are other shifts we in mindset or in professional development practice that we haven't made yet, and therefore funding those additional positions, you know, sixty-five thousand dollars or more a piece, we don't think we would get as sixty-five thousand dollars worth of value out of them right now. So that's one reason that we're absolutely not giving up on it, and we're obligating ourselves to identify the efficiencies over time, so that even if revenues don't increase proportionally, such that we can pay for it that way, we're able to find our capacity in the budget uh, to do that. There are other things that are, are actually just beyond our, our, our financial capacity when we take into account all of the other positions that we're doing. But those are things, as I said, where if capacity is realized, if we get to, say, year two of um, you know, funding priorities through ESSER, and we identify that some of the pieces that we did in the first year either weren't as effective as we, as we hoped they'd be, or... Uh, aren't as necessary as um, they were in the first year, then it might be the case that we have the capacity to fund those and they'll go from long-term priorities to FY23 priorities. Um, and then I think a third example is something where something is, we have the concept and we know what we want, we want to do. We just don't know exactly what it looks like in this moment. And so we don't want to essentially throw money at something until we're able to build out the plan in a better way. And sometimes when that's the case, we're looking at how do we identify, how do we advance the objective through other budget priorities? So tomorrow, one of the one of the pieces of information that we'll be presenting to you is we are looking at um, reorganizing re one of the positions in the central administration to focus on family engagement. And the vision for that family engagement position is to serve as a central facilitator with the offices that connect with families as they're entering into the organization. So that's health services, English learners, uh, special education, and um, that position would be situated both physically and from an organizational perspective in a place that they are, that this person will be able to better uh, connect with uh, families who are in exactly the position that you're talking about, being more vulnerable and needing that stronger connection to the district right away. So that is one way in which we're looking to advance that objective that's not necessarily going to live within the English language uh, learner, uh, English learner budget, but it's certainly going to have an impact on, on students who are EL. And that's, and that's what we're um, looking to do sort of across the board. So I don't, th I don't think it's the case that because something is in the long-term priority that it's not being prioritized. It might just be being prioritized elsewhere. 
and sometimes it is just being moved to a, a back of the list, and, and I, I don't want to suggest um, that that's that's not the case ever. But I don't think with this one in particular, I think it is something that we are committed to. It's just that we're going to advance it in other ways in FY22. But that's what we that's what we're going to try to do. Thank you, Mayor. May I ask a quick clarifying question? Sure. Um, so before the pandemic, um, but I, I thought we had math coaches at the elementary schools. Were we not set up for these people to actually do work or were they not effective? I'm just, you know, and I certainly, you know, from our previous meetings, I fully understand and support the need for some structural and organizational change um, for all the reasons that you have detailed very clearly. Um, but we did have these people, some of these people, I don't know if we had as many as we were, we describe as future goals here, but um, we had them. I did not hear that they were, you know, wandering the halls looking for something to do. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't either, just to be clear. I don't think anyone was wandering, was wandering the halls. Yeah. So if they were, if they were on the rolls and they were doing work and being effective, how is it they can't be effective today if we hired them? Well, effectiveness isn't binary. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not suggesting that there was no positive impact. Then I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to. I'm not going to speak to you know where there were you know positive impact and where there were shortcomings. I, I wasn't here. All I can tell you is that in the meetings with you know 25 plus administrators, there was not a divergence of opinion as to whether this was something that we were well situated for right now. But like I said, it works for me. The, you know, having one if we can afford it we think makes sense both right now in terms of the impact that can have instructionally and in the future for building out our capacity to utilize positions like that in the future. Thank you. Thank you. We have member Randaclute and then member McLaughlin. Thank you. And thank you to everybody for the nice concise presentations that we had tonight. Um, my question in terms of the mathematics department was, uh, but this will probably filter through. I heard us talk about uh, transportation for after school programs. When we talk about the summer programs, are we envisioning transportation availability for those? And are we envisioning um, all in person or might there be a uh, Zoom um, uh, portion too for kids who can't come into uh, the program physically? You know, that's a really good question, uh, Member Vanderklub. Uh, both both questions are very good questions. I think with regard to transportation, um, I don't think I, I don't think we know the answer to that yet. I think it's something that we um, just looking at the ESSER capacity, I, I, I'd be surprised if we don't have the capacity for it. Um, so then I think the question becomes, is there a need and is there demand? Um, and it's hard to imagine that there wouldn't be any. Uh, and so in that sense, I think I think I think we do have to, to, to look at it. We've had very brief conversations about that, but because of other logistical components about exactly when and where, and in some cases who, um, because those haven't been ironed out yet, we don't have a firm answer yet on transportation, but I think it's definitely something we're open to. With regard to the remote piece, I think what I would say is that, that there is a, first of all, we, we want this opportunity to be open to everyone. Part of the objective that runs through each department is to try to reacclimate students to being in uh, learning. We've been, we have not been shy about the fact that we believe that students learn best uh, when they're in person. At the same time, we want to make sure that the opportunities are fully accessible. And so, if we have cases where students are unable to be in person, we're going to want to, we're going to want to leave that lane open as well. 
but exactly what that looks like and how that sort of manifests itself, I think is something we have to look at. We've had a few conversations where we've talked about, well, you know, we know that there are going to be students that are going to need um, this type of additional support, that we're going to have, that we're going to have data just to make it clear that a constituency of students, you know, really need the, the additional intervention that needs to be in person. And then we look at it and say, well, we also know there's going to be a constituency of students who are not going to have data to suggest they absolutely need this to the extent that uh, some of those other students do. And we want to, because we want to keep uh, a focus on equity and we want to keep, as I said, things accessible. You, know, you could have a situation in which we had some portion of, of programming that was available in person because that's going to advance the objective of reacclimating, but then also have something remote that we're able to do because from an efficiency perspective, we're able to pull it off virtually. And I think that's the t that is sort of an example of how the post-pandemic world is going to be different for all of us. There are going to be meetings that in the past we had to go to in person that we're instead just going to sit in our office and, and turn on our computer. And there probably will be some um, instructional opportunities uh, or counseling opportunities or other types of opportunities that we will make available virtually just to make sure we're reaching as many students as possible. So I would I would expect that that would be part of a, a sort of a broad regimen uh, of, of support. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Member McLaughlin, then Member Graham. Thank you. Thank you all for the presentation. Um, it's nice to see some clear commitment to um, diversity and equity across departments. Um, I can see that there's some cohesiveness around that. And, and um, I want to say that I appreciate that consideration because it's, it's critical and something that our district um, really needs. And I think uh, needs to work on um, <clears throat> for the, I wanted to mention the uh, EL program mentioned uh, and thank um, Mr. Teixeira. Um, I, I think that you've been doing an exceptional job, frankly, and I look to you for a lot of um, uh, role modeling and leadership. And I think the adaptive literacy program is a really important one and one that I'd like to have um, folks think about sort of in a bigger perspective. I think we often just tend to put ourselves in these silos and these buckets around, you know, that's this is this department and that's that department and that's that department. And I remember two years ago going in and sitting with Mr. Tisher and being able to look at some of his material and what that actually looked like and what that meant. And, you know, uh, universal design for learning is something that goes across every single one of our departments. And so when we're talking about adaptive literacy, you know, and we're thinking about all of the discussions we're having around dyslexia and, you know, um, it's important to look at, well, what is the EL department doing around adaptive literacy? How are they actually collecting data around that? How could this apply somewhere else and, and what is being done? And I just, I just sort of wanted to put that out there because I think that people often just put themselves in silos and aren't looking at each other um, necessarily as models. And I, I think we should. Um, and especially also around cultural competency. I really appreciated Mr. Teixeira's um, request for professional development and cultural competency. And frankly, I think that's something that we could use across the district. Um, and I know that it's a lot to think about for every department, but I do think it's something um, that we need um, pretty much in every department. Um, technology, I wanted to ask Ms. Layden, um, I know um, um, Mr. Murphy mentioned briefly the um, the assistive technology and adaptive technology is, is, is sort of, you mentioned microphones and what have you, but I would like to hear a little bit more about that, especially this year with having gone remote with all of the um, access that students needed to have with our um, population who is 
you know, um, who, who does have learning differences and, and others, our English learners are, you know, just uh, folks who struggle with technology in general. Not that English learners do, I don't mean to imply that I'm saying generally that, you know, um, families, parents that were struggling with technology, like what is being offered to the community around assistive technology and adaptive technology to obviously to students that require that. And additionally, training and development around what this looks like for, for, for families trying to figure out, you know, this whole world. And again, we may or may not be remote in some capacities moving forward, but has there been any sort of group development around these things? And then well, I, I can, I can answer follow-up. that a little bit. Um, I actually think that um, Ms. Bowen may, may be able to answer some of that a little bit better than I can. In terms of the technology side, I can tell you sort of what was purchased and deployed, you know, that, that's sort of my world. So in terms of iPads and two-in-one Chromebooks and, you know, the, besides the microphones and the webcams and um, support that were provided in terms of how to use and how to, how to get those out into the hands of everyone who needed them. That's sort of more my world. The actual decisions of the technology that was going to be purchased to meet those needs and how they were going to be implemented and, and, and uh, trained for both students and families is probably better answered by, by our, our special educators since we, we work together in terms of the purchasing and the deployment but and, and what to buy and I helped with those kinds of things but the actual how-to is probably a, a better answer for you Joan. Thank you and just to clarify I'm not looking for a whole lesson on, on what technology was purchased for you know um, students um, and, and accessibility it's more sort of just the bigger picture looking at you know, how, how these things are being presented. I think it's actually been a blessing in a lot of ways. We had a lot of students who, who, who did, you know, need iPads and, um, and, and I think can benefit from that, obviously, but I would like to hear Ms. Bowen just a little bit about how big picture, not micro, just macro sort of you're looking at this, please. Sure. So we, we look at um, what the needs are within the district. We do have um, the ability to do assistive technology evaluation and assessments throughout the district. Um, when a need becomes apparent to us, we will evaluate in that area to determine what um, the individual student may need or what the classroom may need. And then we look at, we, we also meet with Molly. Um, Jan Hollenbeck is um, one of our uh, people who do the assistive technology evaluations um, in her department. And then we consult with Molly and her department on what would be the best um, devices to purchase, what it's going to look like, what we require, require to use those and to implement them uh, throughout the district. Yeah, thank you. And I just, for example, I just, I guess I wanted to share with, you know, folks in our instance, you know, we have, Grace has a reading disability. Um, and so she has access to Bookshare, right? And a lot of people, frankly, in the community and in the district don't know what Bookshare is. And anyone with a reading disability qualifies for Bookshare. You can have access to a library with thousands of electronic books for free um, once you have a diagnosis of a, of a reading disability. And I think that that's something that's just sort of a general understanding that people across the district should know. And I think that unfortunately what happens, it, it certainly did in our case, is we have to bring that nugget of information that we've learned from parents or from a, you know, a, a Federation for Children with Special Needs group or something else to the district in our IEP to sort of share that. And we, I want to make sure that these things are more universal and, you know, experience across the board for folks. And, and, and I guess I don't necessarily think there's an answer tonight. I guess I'm just trying to put that out there for everybody that we're thinking about what this looks like from all perspectives. And that's part of what I'm seeing tonight. And it's refreshing because 
frankly, I hadn't seen that a lot before. And so I would ask people to continue on that path and to continue thinking about how do each of these departments apply um, to these marginalized populations. And same with um, the, the, the math, you know, programs. And I appreciated David saying that Mr. Murphy saying that it's a multi-tiered summer program. And, you know, I think that that's great. It's a multi-tiered summer program and that it's going to be accessible for all students. And I think we have to think about what those supports look like, obviously. And I'm sure as the experts, you guys are thinking about that. Um, but I just have to put that out to the community as well, that, you know, every student should have access to all of these programs. And, um, and I'm sure that, you know, with our, with our equity as being our driving force that they will. And so the unified sports too, I think, again, this is something that's been asked for, for a while. Malden does a, a really good job with their challenger team. And, um, Medford hasn't done this. And frankly, we have the special Olympics that hosted at Hormel, but it's hosted by Malden, which is ironic. Um, and so it's good to see that this year. And I would really, again, and I'm going to circle it up with the family engagement position. I think that having the family engagement position person would have looking at these things about across departments in a, in a macro way about how are you actually involving, especially the marginalized communities that aren't coming to the table is what we really need to to be thinking of. And I guess lastly, I want to put out there, and I know tomorrow we have a meeting that we'll discuss some of this, but I guess, you know, all of this comes down to money, right? We all know that all of these things that are our wants and our different needs in this Zoom box that we're all in tonight, representing our own interests and the interests of constituents, all comes down to money. And, and, and the one thing that we haven't addressed, and I'm not sure why, is the need for a grant writer in our district. We need somebody who can help us bring some money into this district in the formation of grant writing. And you guys are dividing that job among so many people. And I know that grants have come in. We've been fortunate in a number of ways, but I feel like if we were really targeting these objectives that we say that we have, that our priorities that we say are so important, and we're thinking about how are we actually targeting these for money and grants, then we would be in a much better position. And that's my soapbox. Thank you. I wouldn't, I mean, I, I wouldn't describe it as a soapbox, at least in any type of pejorative sense, because I think that, um, first, I, I just want to thank you, Member McLaughlin, for uh, recognizing the extent to which um, we are attempting to present this budget in a cohesive fashion. And the reality is that when the, the forum that has been adopted by the school committee is bringing forward um, close to two dozen administrators, there is a risk that you get two dozen visions, two dozen missions, two, do, two dozen priorities, and some of them may or may not have anything to do with each other. And what we've tried to do in the framing of our questions and development of the priorities is to identify, um, one, the, the common theme of how do we build back, and two, how do we uh, do so in a way that uh, addresses some of the systemic inequities uh, that I think um, are, are reflective in, in your comments. And so I, my hope is that I think I think we have been um, mostly successful in presenting that. And obviously the real work comes into how do we put that into practice and how do we execute in a way that's reflective of those values and those priorities. And that will be the work um, throughout the course of, of the fiscal year. And I'll just say very briefly, I know this probably, it probably sounds like I'm just making a list of uh, positions that you'd like to see, but I can uh, promise you, and I, I know that we've had some, some of you have had conversations with because you've asked specific questions about this in the past, but we are uh, intending to repurpose a, a, a different central office position as a grant coordinator position um, and have actually taken steps to do that effective immediately. Um, 
that uh, that is a grant coordinator as a, and not necessarily uh, a, a development officer. Um, and we are looking at some other sort of project-based work uh, to try to identify ways to, to bring in additional um, funding, but that that's a little bit further um, down the road. But tomorrow is when we talk about the central office structure and specifically the Office of Finance and Operations, we will uh, address the grant coordinator position as well. Thank you, member Graham. Um, thank you. Uh, I had some questions about Member Graham, you muted. Okay. Um, I had some questions about the math department um, to start. Um, Ms. Khan, based on what you were saying, I think what I heard was that we weren't going to continue down the path of picking a math curriculum, but instead we are going to go with the Envisions Math 2020 curriculum. Is that what you were saying? That is right, just for this one year. Uh, while our teachers are piloting, our um, other teachers need a, a, a program uh, that they can continue with. So it'll be for the teachers who are not piloting in the district. Uh, oh, okay. So we are still planning to do a selection for a new program in that one year. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, so while we may not be set up to support math coaches, I do have a question about why we're only set up to support interventionists at the middle school and at the elementary school. That's a very fair question. And I will say, uh, as I mentioned in, in, in response to Member Rousseau's question, there are sort of three reasons that something could um, fall into a long-term priority. And I would say that the elementary intervention specialist, I think it is something um, that would be helpful I think it, from a budgetary perspective, it's, it's simply a matter of prioritizing the literacy uh, interventions uh, first in the hope of uh, uh, being able to provide the additional math support. Um, so that's not to say that that option wouldn't be available, um, but in terms of mapping out uh, where we are, um, in terms of the use of our, our one-time funding that's available now, um, the current recommendation would be to focus on, on literacy while we work to identify the capacity um, to, to be able to fund the math positions. So it's a, it's a funding priority, not necessarily, it, it's content informed, but it's primarily funding. But Ms. Glissi, did you want to um, add to that comment? Well, I see the superintendent's hand, I'll defer to her and then I'll follow up if. Yeah, I, I also wanted to say in response to um, Member Graham's uh, comment, that it is a slightly different structure between the middle school structure and the elementary structure. And I actually feel with us piloting the different curriculum um, across the different uh, buildings, that it is something that we should definitely be pushing pause on at this point in time um, with the math coaching while we're in the process of figuring out which, what's the new curriculum gonna be for all of our elementary schools. And so it's not that we're um, taking our eyes off of mathematics instruction because we do want to pick the best program that will continue to you know, move our kids forward and align with what is going to take place with the um, illustrative math that's at the, um, the, the middle school level. So we want to just keep all of that in mind. So with the focus on the literacy um, hoping to have the reading and literacy support at the elementary schools 
where um, that is another area that is also equally important. We're trying to, I, I would almost say, balance it. And again, balance capacity um, of the teachers and what's happening within the schools from a structural level. Um, so in what year will we expect to see interventionists and math coaches at the elementary school? Well, I, I just want to be clear, there's, we're, we're, especially for people that haven't been immersed in this uh, discussion before, there are two different types of positions that we're talking about. And we're not doing either one of them next year in elementary. For math at the elementary, that is correct. That's what's okay. recommended right now. That the, the, and, but for two different reasons. The coaches are based on the structure and the setup, and I was believing that we're not necessarily ready to do it right now, even if the funding were uh, readily available. Um, I guess if there was enough funding, we could more we could probably expedite uh, some of the other changes. But like we think that even in the most favorable, looking at in the most favorable light, that's something that uh, should be sequenced later. The interventionist supports, which are the direct support to students, that's more of a budgetary consideration in terms of um, looking at that priority, but also taking into account the the content implications. Which I thought I didn't know if Ms. Lucy, if you wanted to add on to that that piece of it with regard to literacy versus math. I just personally wanted to say that the coaching to me is the more of the key point in working with the staff. The interventionist to me is a structural piece that is a very delicate balance when it comes to mathematics because we don't want to put interventionists to pull students out of a math lesson that they're going to miss core content. And right now, if you have the coaching to work with the teachers to on part of the math curriculum, like we were talking about, the interventionist piece is a little bit more of the scheduling and the structural piece of how to have interventionists be effective and actually complement the math lesson. I don't know if you're understanding what I'm saying, but when a teacher has a lesson for 60 to 75 minutes, it's really not at the elementary level, it's really not all that effective to remove students from the class for intervention. They need to be there for the lesson, the activities that follow, the review. We have to build up the structure, especially coming out of COVID, where the successful piece of using an interventionist would be pushing into the classroom. And for next year, where there's going to be three, maybe four, but at least three different math programs going on, it's not the best use of staff. Does, do I, I don't know if I'm. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I think you've clarified something that I misspoke about in that um, it's, it's a budgetary priority as a result of not being prepared to absorb and effectively utilize the coaches. So if we can put the coaches in place, then the structure could be modified such that the interventionist could be a better investment, which is why in this, uh, to go to the point that I made earlier, if we do have the capacity, we fully expect to try to do at least one elementary level math coach to begin to build out that capacity. But that would sort of be step one, which would lead to more coaches, which would eventually get to interventionists. And in terms of, I think your question is, okay, well then when? And I think that's a fair question. I think um, we fully understand the urgency of it, which is why if there is capacity after the ESSER budget is built, we could be in a better position to do that. And if not, it has to be soon, which puts the onus on us, frankly, to identify that capacity. Um, the other question I had about math is the number on the slide said 255, and I can't find a way that these numbers on my paper add to 255. So which, 
what thing isn't uh, that's on my paper doesn't actually fit into the slide that you showed us. I believe it's the, um, I think it's because the, um, the, the green check marks indicate that um, we're not, we weren't in that column adding up the math intervention specialist at the middle school uh, because they're not included in that. So I think the 255, sorry, I just need to find it really quick. And yes, because I'm in the, in the documents, in, your, in the full documents, it says uh, 320 because that would include the uh, funding for those other positions. But the 255, I believe, is 85,000 for the, um, well, that might have been down to 60, 60,000 for the um, uh, Envisions. And so then it would count the, I'm going to have to go back and look at that, Ms. Graham, to be honest with you. I'm not sure how that adds up either to 255. Unless it does include those positions, but then I don't know why the, the 320 would. Is the intent that the 255 equals the critical 22 budget priorities, the additional budget priorities worthy of consideration, and the COVID mitigation priority? Is I'm that the have, intent? Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm just gonna have to go back and review because there's two. There's two different. Are you talking about the the deck that was presented in this meeting or in the yes the full presentation? The one that was presented in this meeting earlier. Give me one second. They're just, I just want to be crystal clear what we will ultimately vote on at the end of tonight because it was oh, I'm sorry, in yeah. every vote I've I, ever I, taken I, I on this it. topic. Yep, it's exactly what you said. Those three categories. In yeah. every vote I've ever taken on this topic, I have been under the understanding that we are including all four categories, which equal, which also includes the long-term priorities, and now I'm being told we're not. So I just want to be super clear about what is in when we say we're in for something well, so that if there's something that's not in that we feel like should be in, we can be clear about that so that that doesn't have to wait until June 1st for us to deal with. Sure. I mean, in some of those, in some of those priorities, they, they could be in this, as I said before, within the EL example and that they're, they're incorporated elsewhere. And so, that vote, I would say, indicates the committee's support for all, all of those priorities. But in, in several of those, there wasn't an actual price tag attached to the priority because it's it's not something we're able to identify as of yet. So that wouldn't be something that we would necessarily be able to incorporate into an operating budget now. But based on the committee's vote, we understand the committee is supportive of it. And so we're doing the work necessary to identify, one, how much it costs, and then identify a budget that it can ultimately be placed in. Some cases that could be an operating budget if there's capacity recognized. And so it, it could it could be there based on the, the committee expression of support. And in other cases, uh, it might be that, well, if it's gonna live somewhere, it's going to have to live in the ESSER budget. And so similar to the operating budget, we would present that to you. Uh, and we would say, based on your support, we know this is something the committee's in favor of, but before we pull the trigger on it, we want you to know this is how much it costs and this is the budget we think it needs to live. In. And so, that vote, it's, I don't want you to think that that's somehow just a ceremonial vote. We understand that we interpret that to be the committee is saying this is a priority we want to see funded. We want to, we want to see it. Uh, we want to, you know, we want it to move forward. As we've talked about from the beginning, that we also are planning for various contingencies that uh, we will be able to operate the district under based on an appropriation that will, you know, that it may likely be less than what the committee ultimately requests. And that's not uncommon and, and we'll be prepared to do that. We still think it's important to present this information to the committee and to the community 
and for the committee to voice either its support or its expectation that the administration move in a different direction. Um, and, you know, I think that, that that's sort of the, the, the sort of rationale behind how, how we're spelling that out. But in the case of this one, I think in the map in particular, um, you know, we are talking about a substantial investment. And so if the committee were to vote for the four coaches and four intervention specialists, we are looking at a number that like, we don't even think we would, we, we would not recommend it even be supported in the ESSER budget because of the, the, the size of the investment, frankly. But we don't want to skip over it and not discuss it in this forum because we do think ultimately it's something that would have a positive impact on the district. It's just not something that, um, you know, eight new positions in this particular context is, is not something that um, seems pretty viable at this point. Yeah, and I can understand eight um, being a number that is hard to manage, but zero is also a number that is equally unpalatable for me. I mean, sure. we're coming out of, you know, we have a deficient curriculum. Our test scores show we have a lot of work to do in math. We got rid of our coaches. We had a 18 month pandemic. We have students who are behind. We're going to pilot new curricula, but we don't need any more staff to make that successful. Like I just, I'm really struggling with how that is all feasibly possible. Um, and, you know, frankly, when you install new curricula, having the folks who are going to need to like coach and lead be at the front of that is always preferable um, from an expertise perspective. So I, I, I'm not entirely comfortable with going with zero. That, that's fair. And just to be clear, I mean, I think, I've, I think we've been very grateful that for the committee's support with the recommendation so far, but if the committee votes, uh, I, I think, it, I think given all of the other priorities, it would, we will have, I think it's inevitable that if the committee votes to add more than one coach, we're going to end up back in front of you explaining to you what are the things we're going to have to pull out, what are we going to have to cut, you know, what are the, I think that's inevitable, but I think if the committee votes for one, understanding that we'll probably have to look at the ESSER budget, um, yeah, I, I don't, I can't, I'm not in a position to say, I think that would be reckless or anything along those lines. I just think that's, I think that I just defer to the committee on that. Okay. Um, I have several other questions, Mayor, so I don't know if you want me to keep asking them or if you want me not to. Yeah, and take one or two each. So I, it, it, let's go to Paul and then maybe back to you, just put your hand up again. Um, if, sure. if I may ask one or two questions myself, just for clarity, Ms. Khan, can you explain which grade levels are piloting and which ones are staying with the Envisions 2020, just so I can get a better idea and understanding? That's Please. A great, yes, that's a great question. Uh, so we, the, the committee members uh, are um, from kindergarten all the way to fifth grade. Um, so um, we, we have three or four committee members uh, at each grade level. We have newcomers, uh, we have uh, special education teachers uh, in that uh, in in those committee members as well, um, and um, it, the programs two programs that will be selected will be at each school, uh, but at different grade levels. So I just have to look at the whole list to see which uh, school uh, you know uh, and which particular teachers are committee members who will be piloting. But uh, it will not be that third grade all across is piloting. It might be that two schools, for example, um, Columbus and Brooks, and this is just I'm pulling names randomly, two 
you know, third grade teachers, one from each school will be piloting and that um, uh, the other two might be at different schools. Um, so, you know. So, okay, that's helpful. So how many classrooms total in the elementary schools? I believe uh, we are shooting for about uh, 24. So oh, four okay. at each grade level. Um, and that includes, includes uh, special education uh, and uh, the newcomers. Very helpful. Thank you. So, thank you. And then um, just my second question for Ms. Arena, uh, Mr. Arena and Ms. Layden. With the ARPA funding, one of the biggest pieces of guidance we've got so far is water and sewer and broadband infrastructure. Can you tell us a little bit, I, when I think of broadband, I think of the problems at the high school as it relates to internet access and cell access. So can you, do you have any idea what it would take to fix that and fix it, you know, for good? If you're talking about broadband, I can tell you that we are well undersubscribed as opposed to when we made the upgrade about a year ago. <clears throat> so the issue is not going to be about, um, you know, basically running out of, of uh, internet access because of congestion on the line. Uh, most of the metrics that I'm seeing show that we're using probably less than 50%. There's an occasional spike here and there, but generally speaking, if there are issues, it's more at the device level as opposed to running out of, uh, out of breath. So when, so the parents that reach out to us about keeping their kids remote because they're afraid um, Zooms won't work um, from teachers that are teaching remote. There's nothing, it's all related to technology and not to not, there's nothing we can do with the broadband to fix any of these problems. Well, it's not, once again, it's not because we are running out of bandwidth. Uh, there could be technology issues that include both the instructional side and the network side, but it's not because we're running out of bandwidth. And I'll give you as an example, you know, if you have um, a number of people trying to uh, stream uh, video or visual, that will chew up a lot of the bandwidth within the building, but not necessarily make it out to the internet. You could also have issues with older devices that aren't capable of projecting, um, you know, if they're trying to do streaming um, back to the classroom. And these things, you know, we're addressing that as we go through because it's an individual basis. You could have someone that says that the internet doesn't work and you find out it's the device or that the device doesn't work and you find out it's that they're attaching to the wrong wireless. So there's a number of different issues and both the technology uh, department, including their uh, library staff, as well as myself are, um, are combing through those. And like I said, we, we haven't found too many issues that aren't attainable. We, we can resolve most of them once we get our hands uh, on the device or get more information about why it's not working. I think, Mayor, um, what we've made some improvements from an infrastructure perspective, um, both with regard to device and Wi-Fi capacity, to, to Mr. Arena's point, um, where what we need, I think, to improve on our, our systems that put users in a place where they're more easily accessing without having to take additional steps in the way they are in other venues that they might visit. I think that the, the norm has become when you walk into any building, um, in society almost, uh, you're able to relatively easily get onto a Wi-Fi signal. And I don't know that we've, we've fully fleshed out all of our systems in a way, in part because 
uh, we're doing our best to keep our networks secure and uh, to do so on a, on a relatively limited budget. And in doing that, um, I think we've made it uh, more challenging than it is acceptable for, for some of our users. But at Mr. Arena's point, this, the structure is in place. Um, I think we just need to develop um, the systems and that's something that is a, is a chief priority for us going into the new school year. Thank you. Um, I think people put their hands down. So just let me know if you want to speak or if you have any more questions. Member Roussel and then Member Graham. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I, so I had, frankly, an awful lot of questions about the technology stuff. Um, I, uh, it, it, I guess I just spend too much time reading about technology stuff because of my particular profession. But, um, you know, the, the latest survey from this year is in the last 12 months, 54% of medium to large organizations, and we certainly qualify as a medium-sized organization, have experienced a ransomware attack or intrusion of that nature. Um, and so I guess my question is, um, I, I see a lot of great things that are listed as capital. Um, do we have promises for every item that says capital that we are getting that money? We have promises. Do we do we know that that money is really coming to us, or is that like a? We've had a conversation with somebody in finance in the city, and they said they're going to give it to us, but it may not show up because some of these things here are not things that are can or be at risk of not happening. Yeah, no, I mean we have a we have a capital budget that's been appropriated um, that uh, you know we're working with the city in as collaborative a manner. Um, as we can to make sure that those priorities are, are fully articulated. And so we have some capacity. I don't think given some of the competing demands, um, particularly things like generators and, and hot water heaters and, and roofing. I mean, it, I don't think 100% of the capacity that's been identified so far can go toward the, the IT priorities that are listed here. And there are some, if you see the places that we can, there are a few things that from a strategic perspective we can defer on but you're also correct that some of these things are our critical infrastructure that we need to address in the near future. So, so I get, there's a let, me, bit, let me, there is some, let me rephrase my question. But your, your, let me your question is 100% is of those uh, priorities uh, already paid for. The answer is definitely no, but that's not to say that none of it is either. There's just that there are more demands than there are, than there is financial capacity at the moment. Uh, and, and I, that's why we have to be strategic about it. If I can maybe but, but, try to answer as best I can, I think I understand your question. Um, just with regards to this, I know Mr. Murphy and our superintendent are taking, you know, any type of guidance they can on their calls regarding ESSER money, regarding ARPA money. We're doing the same on the city side. I had a meeting with DLS this morning and other mayors and um, financial people from different cities and towns and almost uh, almost half at least at least half of the questions we ask they still cannot answer so right now water sewer broadband infrastructure we can use our money for plugging revenue gaps but it's just seeming extremely restrictive so we are waiting for more guidance on what we can even try to propose to pay for so that we can free up some general fund money to supplement uh, on the school side 
um, as of right now, it's just the, it's so restrictive. It's kind of crazy. The amount would be able to spend based on the, the guidance we have. And we know there's, there's ways where hiring a consultant that's hopefully starting signing a contract on Monday, that's going to help guide us through this. And it's really late in the, in the process, but guidance, the 152 page guidance wasn't released until last Wednesday or Thursday. So it's, we're still navigating. I am trying to get, you know, more money for the schools. I just, we need to be strategic and wait for the answers. Thank you, Mayor. I appreciate that. Um, so let me just uh, kind of go through um, some of my questions. We, I, I was surprised to not see in here um, a big spend on a brand new website and infrastructure for a, a municipal information system or whatever the equivalent is for school systems. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't mean this to be, uh, it's not an attack on employees that are doing the hard work right now of maintaining our website by opening up HTML files and saving them. Um, but there's not, that's not an information system and that is not a website. Um, I mean, that's what I created in 1995 in my senior computer science class. Like that's, that's how old the technology we're using is. And, um, we can't do this work. We should be outsourcing this work or at least outsourcing the get the getting it up and running. Um, there are literally countless firms that do this for municipalities and school systems. Um, and, you know, I, I get tired and I also feel bad emailing assistant superintendents to say, this page has a link that doesn't work. This page, I can't find it. I go into the search and I type the most basic things as a school committee member who's on the website all the time, basic things that I do a search for, I can't find it at all. Um, and I know they're there. Um, so I guess I'm just surprised to see that we aren't actually going to go forward with something as important as a new website. Um, it again ties into SOA um, and the family and community engagement. I mean, if the community is told to go to MPS or metropublicschools.org or whatever it is, .com, I forget now suddenly. Um, and they go there and they can't find what they're looking for, then it doesn't matter what we're doing. It's literally the same as not doing it. Um, and I guess I'm just really surprised that, you know, our plan is to get a part-time webmaster. It just seems like, you know, throw a couple of pennies at your retirement and risk hoping in a couple of years you're going to be okay. It's it's not going to really solve the problem. Well, Mr. Second, if I could just respond to the website questions. I think that there's no, I think there's broad agreement that the website has to function differently. Um, and I think- it May I interrupt, Mr. Murphy? It doesn't have to function differently. It's a collection of static web pages. That's not a website in this day and age, and it hasn't been for like 20 years. It should not be a collection of static web pages. Um, so we don't need it to function differently. We need an entirely new platform from beginning to end. Um, and I, I just can't agree that it needs to function differently. That, that's, that's tiny little iterative changes. And I don't know how many emails you've gotten from me, but I can't find this link. You know, throughout the pandemic, every week we're going to get an update on the current numbers. And I, I emailed many times, like, I don't see the update. I found the page actually. And you're like, it's there. It, 
you know, and I, it's not that it started getting there when I expected to see it. I just gave up asking you because I felt bad about the fact that you all had a lot of other work to do than service me as a school committee member. So, well, again, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to back up my comment that the website has to function differently. I mean, the extent to which it, it has to function differently, I think, is I think is a something that, um, frankly, the committee can decide as to where where it wants to prioritize this. Um, I think that the the working group that we've established is a reflection of the the, the sort of urgency we recognize that it has to go. In. The 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 budget priorities that are coming before you have been informed by a desire to uh, fund what is going to have the most direct impact on students as a result of coming out, out of the pandemic. And while I I agree with you, I think there, there's elements of the website that you, you can even say are embarrassing because it is a, a series of disconnected pages and some of which appear to be from an uh, old obsolete website. That's a problem. I'm not sure it's a problem that has a direct impact on, on kids. I think it's frustrating for community members. I think it's frustrating for families. And I think for that reason, we should fix it. Um, but with regard to like where it falls on the ultimate sort of pyramid of priorities, I would say that I don't think it rises to the level of many of the other things that we've, we've talked about. But at the same time, I would also say that uh, both you know communications, family engagement, all those reasons that you pointed out to, it, it's, a, it's a sensible priority. So if the committee wants us to um, essentially shelve the, the sort of ad hoc plan that we currently have uh, to, to revamp the website, I think I think that's absolutely your right to, to do that. I, I think it's our obligation, though, to say that in the context of this, um, I, it's not something I would recommend funding before we address some of these other uh, issues that have the more direct impact. If this were a different time, if we weren't coming out of the two years of significant instructional disruption, I'm not sure I would feel that way. I, I, I might say that this website is just too infuriating and we've got to come up with a better information system. And the only thing I would say is that I, I'm not sure that, while you're right, it, it is a website that functions from a, a, a earlier time, the utility of websites, I think, has evolved to some extent as well. And so it might be the case that what we really want to be moving to strategically is just a simpler website that can drive people toward, whether it be social media feeds or, or other places to get information. I'm not sure that the vision of the, the 1995 website vision, which is, as you right, is largely, you know, what this is derivative of, um, I think was, you'd go to the website and everything would be there. And I think that that's why it functions as poorly as it does, is that we're still operating as if that's where everybody gets their information. And we might as well be printing it in a newspaper that doesn't exist. And so I, th I think that we have to sort of adopt that, that sort of strategy piece. And then we can decide, like, how to, how to make that investment. The working group is to just get to a place of functionality, which I think I think is is critical. Okay, thank you. Um, and I'll just ask one more technology question before passing it off to somebody else. Oops. Um, uh, I, I have two. Uh, I just kept to get them off the page. Um, how many full-time employees are dedicated to supporting staff and students' technology needs on a day-to-day -day basis? The, you know, the, the help desk, the people that are like, go over because the cable was broken or the a device isn't functioning. And, and, and do we, when you answer that question, do we have any sense of turn? I mean, if that, there's not seven, I'm assuming. So when you're at the Columbus and there is not somebody there, 
does that mean the teacher is without a computer or the services they need for half the class a day? Uh, what are our turnaround times on that, given the answer you're going to give me around how many people are full-time dedicated to just supporting the technology needs of our students and staff? Well, I can answer that. So there are two full-time technology support personnel right now. That's separate from our, our Google admin or our you know device distribution. This year, all of our library staff have essentially become tech support. Um, so they've been doing all sorts of troubleshooting and exchange and, and that kind of thing. So right now there's there are people in every building for um, those kinds of devices. So there are two, but in general and going forward, there are two full-time technology support and the hope is that we're adding one. In an ideal world, we'd have one every building, but we'll, we'll take one more. Um, in terms of the turnaround, um, actually, you know, all things considered, we were incredibly short staffed this year. Um, we, we know we did lose our one of our tech support, and um, but we did have uh, our staff, both our technology teachers and our library staff, really stepped up to cover that hole this year. And so there were um, the needs got met. Our help desk calls are actually surprisingly low, um, and we do absolutely prioritize what's in front. So it is the students, it's a teaching that goes in front and then it's perhaps an administrator printer, but you know, it, it is always, that is the priority and that is, it, it always front and center. So um, we, we've done pretty well, all things considered, but, but we will definitely need, we have a lot more technology than we did before. And we need to take our library staff back to being library staff. And so beyond, they will still do some library media support in terms of Chromebook management and that kind of thing. But in terms of actual hardware support, we'd like to get them out of that business a little bit. Thank you. And I'll ask one more quick question since I think it's an easier one, <laughs> quicker one answer. Those, the answers are great. And I'm, I'm glad adding one is a 50% increase. And I think that that's a, a good trend. Um, we have, um, a number of um, technology security practices that are pretty distressing. Um, I mean, I work for a large healthcare company and of course we have uh, a lot of money we spend on security, technology security. Um, I've never changed my password since I joined the Medford School Committee. Um, and I'm gonna bet that some of the staff that's been here for a decade or more has never changed their password or had to. Um, are, do we have anybody uh, or any committee or group working on fixing what are frankly pretty glaring holes? I, I have to acknowledge, you know, if you have password resets every 90 days or six months, um, you need staff to do. It. That's not like a staff free policy. You just click a button and boom, it's there. It, it's going to require, you know, support staff. So I understand from a priority perspective, adding that right now might not be a goal, but it seems like we need to outline where are our secure technology security gaps and what's the plan where, is there a plan and where are we gonna get, how are we gonna get there? I think I'd just like to say that um, we, uh, this is a priority and it's something that we're working on. I, I think for reasons I'm sure that, you know, Mr. Rashad, I'm probably not gonna go into articulating exactly what those uh, vulnerabilities are at the moment, but um, it is something that we're looking to address and have addressed some of them um, sort of uh, behind the scenes, uh, but something that we'll be working on it, it, it further in the coming uh, weeks and months. 
Thank you. Can you can we get an update on the next uh, when we have a next executive session planned? I don't want a special one just for that, but yeah, I, I would. I probably. Uh, I, I don't know exactly when our next executive session is, and I might. I might recommend it be a little bit further out, uh, both to have some more substantive um, progress to report on, and because of the number of other issues we've got stacked up in the executive session world. But um, I, I certainly think it's something we can update you on in the near future. Thank you. Member Graham. Thank you. Um, regarding the uh, instructional technology uh, narrative, I think there is a typo in the number of libra librarian staff. My understanding is the elementary school, there is a half-time librarian for four elementary schools, not a full FTE. Is that still true? It is still true. If, if this doesn't reflect that, that's something we can adjust. Yeah, there, there's an error in that staffing, actually, that total staffing. Mm -hmm. And I also um, wanted to comment about the fact that there is no plan in the short or long term uh, to increase the level of librarian support, which is uh, to the detriment of the district. I just, I, I can't believe that nobody is asking for more librarian support. There's 2,000 elementary school students and we have a half-time librarian to cover 2,000 elementary school students. There's no way that that, that, that half-time person can, can instruct meaningful curriculum at all. Uh, there's certainly no way she can build it, which is what I understand is supposed to be happening. Um, the paraprofessionals are not the people who are supposed to be taking the, the, those reins. So I, I think we have a, a, a significant problem and a massive understaffing in that space. And I'm a little bit surprised to see that once again this year, we aren't asking for anything more. Um, I also um, wanted to point out that um, I am not in support of spending district funds for resources who don't have professional qualifications to do work. So if we are paying people to lead working groups around web, our website and the quality of the content, um, I would ask that we spend it on somebody with professional qualifications in that area um, and not just simply somebody who happens um, to have been you know, around the district and, and happens to be available to do the work. Um, it's, it's an art and a trade unto itself, like public education is. So um, I, I wanna see us spend the district's money wisely. And I, I you know, frankly don't think that's a wise investment um, I would also say that the district can't, um, in all fairness, uh, think that they can meet the expectations of the consumer of the website without engaging the consumers. So again, I'm not sure what the objectives of that working group are. I know that we passed unanimously um, uh, a resolution to have a cohesive strategic plan around communication and um, I, I don't think that we're headed in the right direction at all to get there um, based on what I heard tonight. And then the other comment that I'll make is I am all for a, a reorganization that allows us to um, prioritize a family engagement person. I look forward to seeing the job description so that we can all agree on what the professional qualifications of that role are. And um, if that means that um, in order to fill the role, we need to look outside the organization 
um, to find someone with the proper uh, qualifications, professionally speaking, um, that we should do that. And um, we should not just be looking to shuffle people around um, to give to give them new titles if they don't have the professional qualifications. So I just want to make sure we take that hiring seriously because it's critically important. Um, communication has been a problem in our district since I have been a parent in the district. And we've taken a lot of measures this year to improve things, but there is still a long way to go. And without um, the right expertise, uh, we are not going to be able to continue moving forward. Um, and then my last question, actually I have two more questions. Um, it was my understanding that we had to move MCAS at the high school because there was an internet issue. So um, are we, if, if, this ca if the capital uh, expenditures that were outlined tonight um, come to reality, will we not have those problems in the future? Well, Is this enough? I think that um, we'll be better positioned, but since the internet went down during the MCAS uh, presentation as a result of an, an individual or individuals intentionally disabling the network, uh, there's no security system that we can put in place that will um, you know, change everyone in the world's motives. So I don't think there's any, type, any such thing as an airtight guarantee that something we do will prevent that. But certainly the point of prioritizing these uh, enhanced security systems will be to uh, diminish the prospect of that, that type of disruption. And it's something that we take extremely seriously. But I don't want to say that if we spend X number of dollars, no one will ever interfere with the system again. But we've got to get to a better place because the frequency of the disruptions that we've experienced over the course of the last year are totally unacceptable. Um, and that's true, you know, whether we're taking the MCAS exam or not. And so that, that's- Your information. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Mr. Murphy, are you saying that the disruption was a, an intentional act? And if so, why were we not notified? I can't, I can't speak to the notification, but it probably because we were attempting to respond to the situation and get the MCAS administration um, completed. But okay. I, 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 not really point of information, but I, I would hope we can get an update at the next school committee meeting because this is news to me. Member Graham? Um, yeah, and I guess I have some questions about whether we have the right expertise in-house to make sure that what we're saying um, is how we should spend capital funds is actually gonna get us the results that we need or if we need um, some other expertise to help advise about like, what is the right path forward? Um, I don't know, do other school districts have to shut down MCAS because of a hacker? Um, I haven't heard that. It doesn't mean it's not happening everywhere, but I just feel like there's some stone unturned that we need to get to um, so that we can have a real plan that says, this is, this is what we need to make this building viable to make our network viable, to make construction viable. And I'm just, I, I'm just not convinced that we are there yet. So I don't know what that person's expertise would be or how or who it is that we might need, but I, I think we need some assistance at this point. Like we've been at this for a year and we still have students who it's not just like that it's hard for them to get online. Like they're at home learning remotely because they cannot access their 
they're remote teachers. So that's, that's a fact. It is happening. Um, we've been at this for a year and it's, it's dramatically improved, but it's still just a huge problem. And I, we have to, we have to fix it completely at some point. And I, I would like to see us do that um, expeditiously because it's already, we sort of are already past the window of opportunity there for our students. And then my final question is, um, when does the school committee get to know about the capital funds that have been appropriated to the school district? Uh, so that's one question, but there are a number of questions that I think embedded in the um, member Graham's comments I'd like to respond to. I guess I'll start with the, that, the direct question at the end. Uh, there are no mystery funds that have been appropriated, at least that I am aware of. There is the approximately $800,000 in capital funding that was um, initially appropriated um, prior to the um, clarification as to what could be used for the CARES Act funding related to the HVAC improvements uh, that, that were done over the course of the 2021 school year. And there's also um, uh, the 160,000 or thereabouts uh, appropriation that was made as a result of uh, funding left over from a uh, capital project that was done uh, several years ago um, related to the science labs, I believe. So um, when we say that the capital funding that we have, we have current capacity, we're referring to those two pools of money that we've discussed se on several occasions uh, in this and other um, public forums. With regard to the uh, question about whether we have the internal expertise, um, what I would say is that if you look at those capital priorities, they are all, or they are mostly projects in which we will need to put out various uh, requests for proposals or requests for bids um, that will come in. And so none of this is really stuff that we're going to be, you know, quote, doing in, internally. They are all things that we will need to consult with experts on to get appropriate um, uh, estimates and then to get bids and then to consult with in order to pursue those projects. So I think, um, I, I don't know that any of us disagree that this is something that we need outside expertise for. And we've had some conversations already with some external partners around um, potential uh, consulting that can take place over the course of the summer to try to better position us um, to know exactly what it is that we want proposals and bids for. And so I think, I think the reason we're doing that is for the uh, reason that member Graham identifies is that we have to be able to uh, understand that we need to expand our own capacity to make sure that we have a full roadmap as to what are the investments we need to make in that regard. Um, with regard to the family engagement position, I, I, again, we'll, we'll speak to this in the, the reorganization that we're contemplating um, tomorrow evening, but uh, there, there, I just want to be very candid. There, 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 are, there is internal capacity that we want to recognize and we want to repurpose and we want to put toward uh, this objective. And we're doing so not because we're just trying to shuffle people around. And I take a little bit of exception at the suggestion that that is either something that the administration would like to do or that the individuals that are willing to serve in this capacity are somehow um, just, just being shuffled around to, I guess, give them new assignments or anything like that. That is frankly not a good use of their time or ours. And it's not something that's going to be incorporated into any of our um, priorities. And frankly, and I, I say this as someone who, frankly, I, you know, I'm not someone that, um, for better or worse, enjoys uh, long-lasting relationships <laughs> in this community. And I think that um, there's just not a lot of incentive on the part of uh, the superintendent, myself, and the other members of the team to to, to, to shuffle people around. Uh, we're doing um, what we think is 
in the best interest of the community to try to advance the goals that have been expressed by the committee and that are incorporated into each of the budgetary priorities that you're that you're hearing about. Um, and then and that's true, frankly, um, for, with regard to the website as well. I, I think it may be the case that we need to that we need to look at um, potential external resources to try to revamp not just the website, but if we're going to invest in that, we want to look at our communication platforms more broadly and how do we how do we best utilize them. But to the question of what is the objective of the working group, um, it is functionality. The, the website, as I think Member Rousseau pointed out, is not highly functional right now. And it, it has to be addressed. Not because I think, frankly, it's going to be like the one place that everybody goes for their information. I think those days are, are more, or less, more or less past. But I think it, it does have to be a reliable source for information. It has to be organized in an efficient manner. And we need to be able to um, have, make sure that all of our stakeholders, staff, students, and family are able to utilize that to, to the best extent possible. So um, that that's the objective of that group. I think um, they've, they've seen some improvements so far and they have good ideas for, for what can happen between now and the time where it is um, a priority that we're able to to advance, but again, as I, as I said to Mr. So, it's not that I, I don't think anyone is satisfied. If anyone is really happy with the website right now, I think like you know, it probably means they haven't surfed the web since the '90s. I guess is the only only um, way I could see that being the case. But I think um, we do have to look at it in the broader context of everything it is that we are we're looking um, we're looking to do. So. Um... I just want to point out that the communications engagement and strategic planning subcommittee was completely unaware of this working group. Um, and I think we've had a lot of discussion um, in that group about uh, the desire to make the website uh, more functional um, at its at its minimum. Um, so I look forward to a discussion uh, with the working team that's been established um, that doesn't include the school committee or the public so that we can sort of close that gap because the, the entire key to an effective website is understanding who you're trying to reach and having a path to like get to them. And I, I don't know how you do that without talking to those people. Um, and then, you know, as it relates to making sure we have the right um, technical expertise to grapple with the realities of, um, you know, sort of all that we still have to do from a, a, a network access and security space. Um, it's my impression that Mr. Arena has been working around the clock uh, for the better part of a year and a half now trying to remediate this. Um, and he, you know, simply we need to make sure he has the support he needs. He's one person. Um, and if that means we need somebody to help us put together that cohesive plan to execute um, or to consult, I am, I am in favor of that spend because I don't think Mr. Arena can do this by himself. I think Mr. Arena would concur with that. <laughs> what he can single-handedly do. So I, I appreciate that, that comment and would agree with it. Okay, and I know- so, Thank you, yes, I agree. And I know tomorrow night we have um, another budget hearing at seven o'clock. And then to recap, the entirety of the budget will be June 1st, and I believe the same thing, 7 o'clock. Motion adjourn. Yep. Motion to adjourn. But before we adjourn, I know, um, I just also want to point out something, Member McLaughlin, you pointed out just about equity and highlight, you know, the fact that I'm excited athletics will be back up and running 
full steam ahead come the fall. Our kids uh, obviously need it. And it's been nice to see some of their games over the past several weeks and to have these shortened seasons. And I know Mr. Maloney has fought to get athletics back on the GBL league, um, but I'm excited about the unified needs champion sports. Um, I want to learn more. So I'm just going to do that on my own because it's already nine 15, but I just, I'm excited to see, see what that's all about and um, try to include that in our budget. So motion to adjourn by member McLaughlin seconded by member Vandekloot roll call, please. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin. Yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Um, member Rousseau. Yes. Member Vandekloot. Just unmute member Vandekloot. Sorry. Yes. Mayor Lago Karn. Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. This meeting is adjourned. We'll see you all tomorrow night. Thank you, everybody.